Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, welcome to Parenting the Adlerian Way. I'm your host, Adlerian family counselor and parenting expert, Allison Schaefer. Each week, I answer your burning parenting questions to help reduce the stress of parenting one tip at a time. We'll explore Adlerian psychology together and learn methods of child guidance for raising a happy, confident, capable, resilient child. Hello, it's Allison Schaefer, family counselor and parenting expert. Excited to be back with another episode of Parenting the Adlerian Way. And thank you again, everyone, for your questions. I've got three for you today, and uh, I'm going to do them according to age. I have three uh, different age groups here. I have one that is for a five-year-old, one for an eight-year-old, and one for a teen. So let me just uh, get these in order for you here and start. First question. Hi, Allison. I learned about you through a friend. Since then, I've been reading your books, following your podcasts, and watching your recorded Facebook Live videos. Thank you for everything you do. I feel our biggest parenting challenge is dealing with my son's outbursts. How can we help him deal with his frustration? I feel we've tried everything from ignoring or punishing him to reasoning and encouraging him to use his words so we can understand his needs. He's almost five, my oldest child, of two and we are expecting a third. We noticed this outburst since he was young, pre-sibling. What we think is the most trivial thing, like giving him cold milk instead of warm milk for his cereals, could make him really upset, and he would start to scream. His screams are louder as he gets older, and sometimes it would make his little sister, two years old, cry. Otherwise, he's a great kid. He cleans up after himself and his sister. He helps out around the house, and he looks after his sister, especially during the initial COVID stage when my hubby and I were both working from home. I hope we can help him manage his emotions in a more calm and healthy way. Any tips or advice would be appreciated. Well, thank you for... Um, being a uh, a fan and following along, and I'm glad the information is is helping. And thanks for your generosity in sending in a question, because as you know, lots of people are going through the same issues, and one person's problems resolved helps a lot of people in the same situation. So, as I'm reading through this and I'm listening to the comment about we've tried a bunch of things, I just want to 
hone in on that for for a lot of people. Meaning, regardless of what the behavior might be, a lot of people come to me at the end of their rope saying, and we tried this, and we tried that, and we've, you know, we've tried everything. So part of what helps with Fiddlerian psychology is two things. One is we really don't try to give you tools and techniques until we really understand what the problem is. And I think that's one of the reasons why we're so successful in in our parenting classes and in our psychotherapy. You know, we're not just putting Band-Aids on symptoms. We're trying to really get to that root cause. So that's one thing. And the second thing is with parents, a lot of it is sort of throw spaghetti at the wall and, and see what sticks. And it could be that just from your own intuition and your own toolbox, you actually had something that worked. It might be that once we discover what the actual usefulness of the behavior is and what the dynamic is in the family, that it could have been that whatever a consequence, ignoring whatever you might have tried, was actually right on the money, but you didn't do it long enough. And so we have to remember that we're talking about human beings and change. And um, you know, Dr. Rudolf Dreikers used to make a joke out of the fact that when parents will say, you know, well, you know, we— we tried your advice and uh, we tried it all week and it didn't work. So we're going back to the way it was before. And and he his rebuttal for that was, well, you tried your way for four and a half years and you tried my way for one week. Why don't you try mine for four and a half years and then let's compare notes and see if it was effective. So So it is true. Some of these things take time and you may well have stumbled on something and you just didn't have the confidence to know that if you stuck with it long enough. And that's why it's really helpful to understand the underlying background issue. So let me see um, from what I can gather from what we're seeing here. And again, if we're working with families in therapy, we can ask so many more questions and whatnot. So I'm always giving it sort of my my best parlor trick crack at this. So just you know know that. Um, but but we can often get pretty close with some things. So the one thing I I hear here, we're looking at this five year old where, you know, if you give me cold milk instead of warm milk, that's the one example there. And um, and what does he do? He screams. That's not what I wanted. I wanted something else. And to your point, he gets, he's being, he's showing an emotion of frustration. The world is not unfolding the way I want. And there's a demand that it must. The world must go the way I think it should go. Milk should come in the temperature that I want it to, or else the world is awful. This is a distasteful situation, and I will let the world know that this is repugnant with my screams. <laughs> and so we think, well, what kind of underlying beliefs would have to uh, make that kind of behavior make sense and, and be true, this demanding of the world to be a certain way? And um, my my guess is, is that perhaps... There's a um, a lack of training that's happened yet. Remember, he's only five. A lack of training in the challenges of of life. That that Adler said all of our challenges are social challenges, and one of the social challenges that we have to face is that um, we have to fit in to a bigger cosmos of people and a bigger reality of the natural order of things, and that is a bit of a stressor. And yes, it's frustrating. It's frustrating that we don't always get to be the line leader. It's frustrating that we don't always win when we play cards. It's frustrating that we don't always get served the dinner that we want. And that's the reality of life. So we want our children to experience that. So it could be that when they were demanding to have 
a different temperature milk or to have a different kind of toast or to have it cut a different way or, you know, whatever it might be, he might have discovered, and you don't say it here, but it could be that he discovered that when he gets really emotional that things don't go his way or he'd like life to unfold in a different way, that adults in his life go about arranging life to meet his demands in order to help him emotionally regulate and stop screaming and stop carrying on and and breaking the harmony in the family. And if a child has come to learn that if I want warm milk instead of cold milk and I don't like what I've been served and all I need to do is make a big protest about it, I might get my order changed. Um, The world might unfold according to the way I think life should unfold, rather than dealing with that real frustration. (laughs) And so, um, so yes, I want to help him with some frustration tolerance. And I think that means that um, that we need to put some, um, be very careful that we're not giving into those demands, regardless of how emotional he becomes. You can hold those big emotions, and I'll talk about that in a second. So we want him to understand this give and take of social living. You know, sometimes you get your way, and sometimes you don't. And sometimes the milk is hot, and sometimes it's cold. And and you can manage. You can figure it out, you know. Um, And so that's going to be an ongoing bit of training that will come over time. So catch yourself if you find yourself caving into those demands. And then in the moment then, when he's actually dysregulated that way, we know that there are these little mirror neurons that kind of talk back and forth between your brain and his brain. So it's really important for us to stay calm. It's really important for us to play a role in helping him de-escalate his emotions. And one way that you can do that is being really compassionate, not caving, just being compassionate. And you can help him process his emotions by using sort of empathetic or or active listening, compassionate listening, where you're helping him process what's going on for him by giving it some language. And you might even join in, in a little bit of the you know, um, lived, felt experience. Like, oh, oh, so you thought you were getting cold milk and you got warm. It's not a very good morning for you, is it? It's hard when things don't go our way. You had a plan about what was going to happen and then a different plan happened. That can be frustrating. So you're, you're helping them to understand or let them know what's going on and that you understand what's going on. And you can show a little compassion by kind of using your tone and your body language to kind of join in that disappointment. But we don't want them to go on and on and on. I I think that is sufficient. If they continue to ruin everybody else's good time, if this thing carries on, I think we have to go with the idea that you, you know, you've tried to to help them self-regulate. And if, you know, the emotional emotional content kind of passes in about 30 seconds, you know, so you have to keep it generated to keep it alive. And that makes me think there's this usefulness to it. And uh, so if it goes on and on and on, I believe that we have that at that point done what we were responsible for doing. It might just say, you know what, um, you have the right to be upset. You're, you have the right to feel all your big emotions in any way that you want. There's no wrong feelings, no wrong emotions. But we also have the right to enjoy our breakfast in peace, calm, and quiet. So can you manage to calm yourself down now and continue enjoying our breakfast with whatever temperature milk you got? Or, or do you need to, to go finish expressing these emotions in your room? 
So if you can, at five, you might be able to get him to move away and kind of say, look at this house where we have our breakfast table and where we hang out as a family, our social areas. That's where we have a responsibility to to interact with our fellow human beings. And if we need to go have a little outburst, we need to go do that privately where it doesn't disturb the social order. Um, now, if you can't get him to go, you might have to kind of move away from him and say, you know, respectfully, I want I want you to... Feel free to cry that out, but I'm I'm gonna just go enjoy my breakfast downstairs in the basement in, in the um, in the family room <laughs> or whatever. The other thing I would just say is um, you could try reading more about co-regulation and how parents um, help with emotional regulation with their kids in a book called um, Self Reg by Stuart Shanker, and I'll put a link in the show notes. And then. And maybe this is a little advanced, but um, you know, I've I've done some training with the wonderful Terry Cotman in play therapy, and not that I expect you all to be like, you know, using play therapy techniques. There's a tremendous amount of skills involved in in using it, but it's highly effective. And you know, one of the things we do and that Terry trains us is in using the power of of play and metaphor to help kids understand some of their psychic activity, and to to help them see that there could be a different way of understanding situations. And, you know, there's a real strength-based belief to this that, you know, kids are actually, if it's brought into their conscious mind, if they can see it clearly, they can make good choices for themselves. But a lot of this misery that they make for themselves or this mischief that they make with their private logic, uh, they're, they're unaware of how they make trouble for themselves. And so sometimes they can see it more clearly in play. So you might just do a puppet show using a similar you know, you don't have to say this is how you behaved. I wouldn't use the milk example. You know, if he just did it this morning and then suddenly you're playing it out in a puppet play, he'd go, hey, you're talking about me. You know, but if you use like whatever, cars or bunnies or some hand puppets or a story that you tell, and instead of making it about milk, you might make it about, um, I don't know, Some he was trying to play a game with his sister, but she wanted to play tag and he wanted to play Simon Says. And he got so upset that he didn't get his way and he cried and he, whatever. And so you kind of act out some other some other scenario that would be sort of similar. And then you, as he's, he'll be fascinated with that. And then, you know, you might say, what do you think the bunny is thinking? What do you think people should do? Um, you know, and you can sort of, it's almost like the, the Greek council, the Greek audience watching the moral vignette play out and, and trying to give answers, you know. Um, you know, what else might he do? Um, do you think it's okay that he ruined his whole day when it would have been easier just to play a different game or maybe the bunny, you know, oh, wow, you know what? The other game wasn't so bad after all. Maybe maybe sometimes things don't go the way you want, and if you just stick with it, it all works out. I, I will leave you to play with that concept. But at the age of five, some of those life lessons are really just best taught through through great storytelling. So I'll leave you to your creativity, but you want that little moral vignette to, to play out that he might see things differently and see how his way of going about things causes him more suffering than he even wants for himself. Okay, question number two. Dear Allison, it's so great to have you and your podcast to keep reminding us that parenting might be hard, but we are never alone. Oh, ain't that the truth? And so many of these issues we have are in common, and so are the tips that we could use to solve these issues. So today I'd like to ask you about how to encourage a child to participate in after-school activities, clubs, sports, and organized groups. My daughter's almost eight, and she has not picked up a sports activity, assuming that the COVID situation ends. Yeah. Should I wait? 
um, um, on her to show an interest? Or should I take some steps to plant the seeds? How do I help in a discussion that might be interesting to her? And once she's picked up, what are the rules? Can she change activities every week or stick with whatever she signed up for or um, until she becomes a pro at it? What do I do if she says, I don't want to do it anymore? I know it might not sound like a huge deal, but I myself grew up with lots of after-school activities and I've always enjoyed them. I would hate for her to miss out on opportunities to learn and develop new friendships, skills, and interests. Thank you again. Looking forward to your next podcast. So thank you for the question. And yes, for sure, um, there are benefits to some of these extracurricular activities. And you named a few of them, um, you know, developing skills and having a social group outside of your classroom. You know, sometimes kids are in the same small school for years and years and, you know, they've got whatever, this small group of people to pick from and, uh you know, they, they, they need the opportunity to meet other people with different, um, more like-minded people, a bigger a bigger pool of fish to pick from in terms of their friend groups because it's very different dynamics. Every, every group that you're in, you have different dynamics and all of that is good social learning. But so are the adults. You know, to have a coach, a mentor, uh, another adult that, that looks out for you and, and tells you, uh, you know, positive things about yourself. And I think those adult relationships kids also need an abundance of not just their mom not just their one teacher there's lots of adults in the community that are looking out for you so i think those for all those reasons yes it's important now unfortunately some parents are overdriven and they're very big into you know if you're not developing yourself you're being lazy and they overschedule their kids and some of those I've worked with families where kids didn't know what it was like to have a, a day at home before before COVID. A lot of people are really enjoying, wow, I like not going to activities. I actually like my parents. I actually like my siblings. So we're slowing down over here, which is good. But there are some kids for sure that are a little more introverted. They are not necessarily into new experiences or new experiences make them anxious. And so they might not be the first person to just perk up and say, wow, I'd really like to play soccer. Um, and so you might need to be encouraging in, in that. And so I think exposing them is the first thing. You might say, let's go to your friend's soccer game or would you like to to go um, uh, whatever uh, go watch a class and see if it's something that might be interesting to you. So I think you need to have a little bit of exo- exposure, know a little bit about them. You know, it, it turns out that only children and eldests tend to like more individual than group sports, if you know what I mean. So and they might be more likely to take swim lessons rather than soccer because, you know, what if you let your team down because you didn't score? But if it's swimming, it's just your own development, right? So, you know, you might be kind of mindful of that. Um, and, and again, range. It's funny how everyone says, like, we tried everything, soccer, ballet, swimming. But maybe they got a kid who's into cooking, robotics, and photography. Like, you, it's not always just all sports, right? So, so make sure that you've got range there. And uh, and yes, a little bit of encouragement. You might just say, well, you know, why don't you just pick one thing? We got to fill your day on Wednesday. Let's see what there is on Wednesdays to, to do or something like that. And give them that encouragement. Check it out in advance. Um, you know, lots of kids thought gymnastics was going to be great until they actually did a class and realized you spend 90% of your time sitting on the floor waiting for your two seconds on the trampoline. And that doesn't cut it for some kids. So I, I do think you need to try it first. Um, and it may be that each of the things that you sign up for have a dropout time. So I always said to my kids, give it a try, see if you like it, but you need to make a decision by this date because that's when I get my refund. And if it's after that refund, then we've paid for this and then we're going to have to make a different plan. So I do think you need to talk about what that different plan is. I don't want a kid 
screaming, yelling, tantruming, sitting in the corner, pouting, freaking out when it's time to get in the car, all for this belief that if a kid doesn't finish something they started, then they're they're going to learn to be a dropout. I, as an adult, have signed up for fitness classes. Like, I signed up for a step class, and I did try. I really did try. Turns out, I am not coordinated. And it, I found it humiliating because when you make a mistake— you're not on the beat and everyone can hear that your foot didn't tap at the right time. And I felt that I was stood out like a sore thumb. And uh, I did give it my go, my my best go. But I, I felt embarrassment. And I thought, wow, if I'm an adult and I'm feeling embarrassed like this with all my good, healthy self-esteem, how awful would it be if I was a kid and I went to my parent and said, I don't like step class. I can't do it. I'm not, you know. And they said, stick with it. Don't drop out. We've paid. I thought, oh, my gosh, I would, I, I would feel like a prisoner. So from that place of having an exit strategy when things aren't working, I think it increases the likelihood that when you ask your kid, well, why don't you try cooking? If they think, well, what if I don't like it and then I'm stuck in that prison for a whole year, I think it decreases their likelihood of wanting to experiment. So you might find if something is, you could say, look, I've spent all my extracurricular money and um, so I don't have anything else to spend on this. Or, hey, you know, you can drop out, but this cost me X amount of money. So, you know, maybe we need to split this from your savings. If you're feeling like there's some, uh, you know, financial piece there that needs to add to the lesson, but mostly if our goal is I want to encourage them to do these things, I, I want to try to make that uh, responsible, but as encouraging as possible. And you'll find the sweet spot, I'm sure, for um, for your uh, eight-year-old. So I, I know with them, um, it, was, it was interesting. I did a lot of things with my kids in terms of activities, um, but, at, you know, at some point they do get older and they take on an interest. Like my daughter wanted to horseback ride. And I'm like, well, great. I can arrange that. But I can't teach. I could teach you to swim. I could teach you how to throw a ball. But I can't, I can't teach you how to horseback ride, nor can I teach you how to tap dance. Um, so maybe as she gets older, she's going to actually find something that she's excited about that she just cannot do at home. <clears throat> All right. Last question. Getting into the teens here. Love the podcast and looking to get a bit more teen content in there. My 14-year-old son is on Instagram, and he knows I periodically check his account for safety. I don't snoop his DMs. Recently, I've noticed a few sexy accounts he's following. Not porn, but very minimally clad ladies with giant breasts and bums. I raised it to him when I first noticed, as non-judgmentally as I could. He was mortified and quickly said, Mom, I'll unfollow those. And he did not want to talk about it. Several weeks later, I noticed a couple more accounts he was following that haven't said anything yet because I want to try a different approach. Clearly, he's curious, and I want him to feel comfortable talking to me. And I'm trying to sort out specifically why these photos make me uncomfortable. I think it's because these women are so artificial looking. It just seems to bother my feminist sensibilities. Am I wrong? I guess I'm seeking a way to broach the subject and to have an open dialogue about it. Very interested in your thoughts. Oh, there's so much good here. Can I just can I just say um, I love that you are periodically checking his account. His account. I love that you're not being a total snoop. I'm glad that um, when you brought it up to him that you were able to do it non-judgmentally. And I love that you're taking this moment to pause to consider how to go forward instead of being reactionary. And and so that's you know just so much good stuff going on there. So you know the the you want to have that great dialogue that's and and um i think some of the ways to well and and i love the way that you're approaching this in terms of like is this my feminist 
sensibilities? Like, what about this is is coming up for me specifically? That's such a great question that we should all ask ourselves. Uh, I think one of the things is to, when we go into these dialogues with our kids, and especially teens, one of the reasons why it's is so great to dialogue with teens is when we don't come in already having worked through the answer. That... Um, that when we get into these healthy discussions, part of it is to come with those mixed emotions. And, and with that, I wonder why and what's upsetting me about that or what, what nerve is that? That we can actually do some of that processing with them. And so, you know, to go into it slightly unprepared as opposed to, okay, I've got my position. Now I know what to teach. Um, you know, to go in and say, you know, I, I found more of those pictures. And it's so interesting to me how I'm like, you know, looking at them and and what goes on for me is I'm I'm thinking these these women are, you know, trying to create some sexy body ideal that's so far off what the natural body looks like, or it feels like it's following some kind of prescribed cultural prototype that's that's that that people are glomming for and and you know I'm trying to understand it and the appeal to it and um you know w- what do you know about this and and what's going on with youth and I I try to make it as much about when I I'm trying to understand them but I'm just tr- I'm trying to also understand the phenomena I think it's easier for teens to talk about youth culture to talk about what's going on in youth culture than to say well I really liked her cuz I'm a big boob guy, <laughs> you know, but if we talk about, well, right now there's, you know, there's the Kardashians and, you know, there's this, this shot that all the girls take where they're sort of like pouting and looking over their shoulder and, and showing the size of their, their butts. That's like a thing now. And then you can like, where did, where, where did that come from? And, um, you know, what are some other trends that have happened? And what what happens if you're small-breasted? And is are, are most people like that? And why do we always have this idea that we have to look a certain way? And it's it's more about, any, as I say, anything when you're talking with teens, if you end with a question mark, and if you say, let's go explore this together, um, I think that's a, that is a, a conversation and a dialogue that meets the criteria of social equality in that, we're always trying to avoid this one-up, one-down, superior-inferior relationship. And so when you're not coming at it as the expert parent who wants to cram values and rules down a child's throat, and instead we are being respectful, listening, being curious— exploring the topic together not knowing where it's going to go you still have your 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 you know you still have your adult wisdom and opinion that you're going to kind of share but the idea is when we when we open up our wisdom to our kids they are more likely to come and nibble from the trough right and when we have those good dialogues and our kids really just respect us and that they they decide who they're going to listen to they decide whose influence they're going to take are they going to change their behavior immediately you know maybe not but don't think if you're raising a kid who is has a feminist mom who has had conversations about how these things can be offensive for gender equality and he has the live felt experience of that up until the time he leaves home at 19 uh yeah he might look at porn but it's not going to 
is not going to, his expectation for women, um, you know, his not feeling okay about, you know, where it crosses the line in, ter- in terms of being degrading, the, the choices of the partners that he made. Like, you know, if you'll take the long road of parenting, there's a lot that having that felt experience of having having those kind of values and that good relationship really will stick in the long run. Um, so, yeah, so keep it up. Good work. And uh, let's not be afraid to talk about sex and sexuality. Um, so funny. We just Usually we just talk about sex so mechanically, right? That's always my big bugaboo. It's like it's not just about naming the parts and understanding about not getting infections and how babies get made. You know, there's there's a lot more, you know, how to be a partner, how you know, how to have self-confidence, how to how to pleasure someone else and wh- where is your eros coming from and um, you know, what do you discover about your what turns you on and um, you know, I mean, the topics are just so much richer and uh, we have to stop making them taboo. So just this lovely little conversation would be a really great start. Um, so I hope that is helpful. That is the end of this week's podcast. And uh, I am actually going on holidays again, the last of my summer holidays next week. And uh, But we will be back. And please send me in your questions at allison at allisonshafer.com. I always have that in my show notes. I appreciate all your questions. And even if you just don't have a specific question about your individual family, if you just have a topic matter that you would like covered, if you have somebody that you'd like me to interview, I will start interviewing uh, some of my colleagues that bring rich information and uh, different perspectives within and, and outside of Edlerian psychology. So for now, take care. Have a great week. As you know, it takes a village to make a podcast, so thanks to my team, including Max Cotter, my editor and technician, as well as the crew at H2O Digital. This podcast was recorded in Toronto, Canada. We acknowledge the land we are meeting on is the traditional territory of many nations, including the Mississaugas of the Credit, the Anishinaabek, the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat people, and is now home to many diverse First Nations, Inuit and Métis. We also acknowledge that Toronto is covered by Treaty 13 with the Mississaugas of the Credit. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. 
With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.